Hi, welcome to episode 1 of Exploring Astrophysics with me, Vikram Bamri. Today, I will be talking to Professor Pat Scott, who in his words is an astroparticle phenomenologist. It's a bit of a mouthful, but he deals with a branch of particle physics that studies elementary particles of astronomical origin and their relation to astrophysics and cosmology. Do you want to just tell me a bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So what I do is basically a combination of particle physics and astrophysics. So a lot of the the work that I do is basically about trying to find evidence for the existence of of new particles. So there's a a model that we have at at the moment that um, explains many of the the different particles that we've seen um, evidence for so far and their interactions with each other. It's called the, the standard model of particle physics. And it seems that that's probably not a complete model. So there are a few different things that, that suggest that there are some additional particles beyond what, what we've got in the, the standard model so far. So one of the biggest ones is the existence of dark matter, for example. So we, we don't have any candidate for what dark matter is in the standard model. So I basically take all of the, the different experiments that are, are being done to search for new particles like dark matter and basically try and put all of the, the different results together to tell us which of the, the different theories are actually better than which other theories and, and what sort of corners of the different theories seem to be preferred over, over other ones. And then also use those to, to try and make predictions about where it would make the most sense to build new experiments to go and hunt for new particles. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how did you uh, get into the field of astrophysics and particle physics? Basically, I, um, I enjoyed doing physics at, at high school. And then when it got time to, to look at university courses, I decided I wanted to, to study physics. And I, I knew at that stage that I was interested in, in astrophysics, but I didn't really know, I think, what particle physics was. A lot of what I later found out was particle physics, I thought, at the time, was, was astrophysics. So I went and started off studying astrophysics and started learning theoretical physics during my undergraduate degree and realised by the end of the degree that I, a lot of the stuff that I was interested in was, was actually particle physics rather than astrophysics. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I basically decided that I was going to try and do a a PhD that basically taught me how to do particle physics and also allowed me to to keep doing a bit of astrophysics as well. Yeah, that's essentially how it started. Okay. I just wanted to go back to what you said about the standard model. I was wondering, do you think that's what like physicists are going to keep using in the future or or do you think there's going to be a better model, model that comes out? Well, I mean, the way we make models generally is that we sort of build on the previous models. So it's, it's usually the case that, you know, the, the existing models, even when we find something better, they don't get thrown out completely because they're not wrong as such. They're just not as general and they're, they're not as like applicable to as many situations. So usually they, they end up being sort of a, a special case of a, a bigger model, for example. So I guess a good example of that is standard Newtonian gravity. We, you know, we know it's, it works, right? Like it explains basically all of our experiences with gravity here on earth or mo- most of them. 
but it's it's basically just a, a special limit of the more general theory, which is general relativity. So, um, you know, we we found Newtonian gravity to begin with, and then we we found general relativity. But it didn't mean that Newtonian gravity was wrong as such. It just meant that it wasn't the complete theory. Mm-hmm. So, probably the standard model will persist. It's just that it'll be a you know, a part of, of some larger theory, I think. Um, so you, you cover a lot, I'm sure, in your work. So what part of what you do in astrophysics and particle physics intrigues you and that you enjoy the most? It, it's really, I guess, the, um, the, the combining all of the different searches and, and actually sort of building systems of, of analysis that allow you to, to do that for, for pretty much any theory. So uh, a lot of the work that I do is in basically building a, a computational framework that, that allows you to bring in all of these different results from, from other places and also to, to do theory calculations and make theoretical connect calculations and predictions for, for different models. So, yeah, basically doing those sorts of things and, you know, building up the, the kind of computer codes that allow you to, to do it, I find really interesting. And then, of course, if you, you ever have any sorts of hints for the existence of new particles, that's really exciting as well. So actually then going and, and testing the sorts of theories that could explain those hints, that, that's also really cool. And uh, so you mentioned about a computational framework. I think it's called Gambit. Do you want to go into bit Yeah, exactly. Do you want to go into a bit about that? Sure, sure. Yeah, so this is this is basically a, a computational framework for doing what we call global fitting, which is this this whole process of putting together all of the different results from the the different experiments, but doing it in a, a statistically consistent way and also doing it in a, a very sort of automated way so that you basically tell it which which model you're interested in looking at and which experiments you're interested in using to constrain that model and it pretty much works out everything else automatically to try and actually generate a lot of the code that's required to, to do the calculations and then compiling it and putting it all together and, and then running it on, on supercomputers. So yeah, this is something that I've been working on for about the last eight years now, and it's in collaboration with a really big bunch of people from all over the world, about 60 people or so now. Yeah, experts in lots of different parts of, of particle physics and astrophysics. A lot of really bright people with, with very varied skills. So it's a, you know, it's a fun project from a lot of different angles. Has Gambit ever helped you to prove any theories? Well, I guess that's not really the way science works, actually. You, you never really get to prove a theory as such. Maths is pretty much the only th- only place that allows you to ever really prove anything what you can do is disprove things and you know the the more or or the you know the the longer you go with a, a single theory being the only thing that seems to be able to explain all the data then the more plausible that theory looks but you never get to absolutely prove it at the the end of the day because it's always possible that some some other theory could come along that does better or, or is more general, for example. 
So what we've, we've done is to, to basically show that there are some theories that, that seem to be in conflict with some of the data and something, some theories that, that seem to explain the data quite well. So we, we've managed to, to narrow things down a bit, but you know, you, if, if we'd discovered a new particle, you would have heard all about it on the news. Yeah. And do you think when you first started out eight years ago, you must have had some sort of an objective in mind. Do you think you're close to or have completed that aim or you still have to work on it? We're pretty much there, I think. The objective was basically to, you know, to build this sort of computational framework that would allow you to, to do these global fits for pretty much any model. So we, we released the, the first version of the, the code and um, a, a bunch of papers that used it uh, about three years ago. And that version, it kind of, it did like the bottom two thirds of the, the job in terms of like solving the, the problem. And in the last three years, we've, we've kind of extended it to do the, the upper third or so of the problem. So we're going to have a, a bunch more papers come out in the next few months that, that basically show how to do that. So yeah, there, there's lots of really cool things we can apply it to now. Um, lots of other, lots of areas of particle physics and astrophysics. But as far as the, the initial goals of the project, I think we're, we're basically there now. And do you think in the future you're going to focus most of your time on Gambit or are you going to look into other branches of these subjects? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Gambit is very general, so it can be used to, do, to address all sorts of different physical questions. So I think probably I'll... I will keep using it in some form or another for a long time, but I guess the the question is more exactly which which physical which areas of physics will I focus on in doing that, which will be the the ones that are most likely to give interesting results over the next few years. So I started off uh, doing a lot of stuff in dark matter, but it seems like perhaps the chances of finding uh, new particles with those sorts of searches aren't as good as they used to be. So, you know, there, there are other things like neutrino physics, for example, that, that I might get more involved in in the future. What, what do you mean by the, those, the, the searches may not be, like you, you mentioned about dark matter, they may not uh, work well. So what did you mean? By that? Yeah, what, what I mean is that we've had a bunch of dark matter experiments in the last, decade or so that have made really fantastic progress in testing a whole lot of models that, that had never been tested before, but they haven't come up with any positive signals. So, and, and it's not that the experiments haven't worked well, the experiments have, have worked very well in, in most cases. It's just that the, it seems that dark matter is not one of those models that would have been easily found by those sorts of experiments. And it's getting to the stage where it, it's getting difficult to, to just like build bigger versions of those experiments to, to make them more sensitive. We're, we're getting to the point where there are more difficult backgrounds to, to deal with. So I, I think a lot of the, the kind of easier searches for, for dark matter 
have been done and I think it's getting a lot harder now. And in terms of dark matter, do, what, what exactly do we know about it, if anything? So we know it's dark, which, you know, that, that actually tells us a fair bit about it because we, we know that it, it can't interact with light in any way. So it's not just that it doesn't emit light, it also doesn't absorb light and it doesn't scatter light at all. So it's, it's basically, it's, it's more like it's like transparent matter than dark as such. So it's not like a black hole, which basically just absorbs anything that is just, you know, that it comes into contact with. So that tells us that it, it doesn't have any electric charge. You have to have, basically a particle has to have an electric charge to interact with photons. So that tells us that it, it doesn't interact by the electromagnetic force. We also know it doesn't interact by the strong nuclear force because that would be even more obvious than it interacting with light. So that tells us that if it does interact with the particles that we know, it has to interact really, really weakly with them. Otherwise, we would have seen its effects so far. We know that it, that it has to have mass because all of the effects we've seen of it so far have been gravitational effects. Mm -hmm. So we, we basically see its gravitational field causing different bodies in the, the sky to, to move over certain trajectories. So we know that it interacts gravitationally. And we also know how much there is because we've measured that by looking at the, the ripples in the temperature of the cosmic microwave background. And this is because the, the amount of dark matter that was um, around in the early universe had a, a gravitational effect on all the gas in the early universe. And so the, the size of the ripples that got created in the early universe actually depends on how much gravitational force was, was pulling things back and forth. So we can, we can tell that there really had to be a whole bunch of extra matter at that time that was not regular matter. Otherwise, the patterns of the, the ripples would look completely different. So that actually gives us a pretty strong constraint on, on the different models that could explain it because the, the like small-scale properties of the models actually have a big impact on how much dark matter gets made in the early universe. Mm -hmm. So that, that's actually one of the, the best ways to test different, different models for dark matter. To compare how much they predict to how much we've we've measured from the microwave background. Just going back to the standard models, so you mentioned like one obvious gap would be dark matter. What other sort of inconsistencies or missing information are you trying to look for that that's like not yeah. in the standard model? So that one of the big ones is the fact that neutrinos have mass. So in the, the standard model, neutrinos are completely massless. So they're kind of like the photon in that respect. But the fact that we've seen different types of neutrinos um, oscillate into each other, so turn into each other, that actually tells us that they have to be massive because they, they basically can't oscillate unless they have some mass. So explaining where that mass comes from and why it's so tiny, that's something that requires physics beyond the standard model. Then there's also explaining why there's so much more, why we're, we're surrounded by matter and there's, there's no antimatter. So there seems to be a lot more matter than antimatter. 
that's not something that is explained in the standard model at all. There's also this thing that they call the hierarchy problem, which is basically explaining why the mass of the Higgs boson is what it is. From our understanding of, of quantum field theory, the, the standard model should really just lead to a Higgs boson mass that is many, many orders of magnitude larger than it, than it actually is. So that there should be all kinds of quantum instabilities pushing up the mass. So that's kind of technical issues with the standard model that suggests that there are probably some other new particles as well. Mm -hmm. And do you hope your program Gambit will help bridge the gap between quantum mechanics and particle physics or the standard model and what is quantum mechanics? I mean, I don't really think there is that much of a gap between particle physics and quantum mechanics, to be completely honest. I mean, quantum mechanics is really basically kind of a special case of, of quantum field theory, which is particle physics. Quantum mechanics is, is just what happens um, in the low energy limit when things are non-relativistic. So I think we, we actually understand pretty well how the, the theory kind of behaves and, and how it works going right from quantum mechanics to, to particle physics. Mm -hmm. The really big one is getting, getting gravity into the same sort of framework as quantum mechanics and particle physics. We, we really don't know how to, to put those two things together. Yeah, so maybe we'll be able to say something about that. Yeah. Who knows? And I, I, I looked on your page and I see that you have some students. Could you tell me a bit about what you teach, um, how you teach it? Sure. So I, I mean, I, I lecture in undergraduate courses, but I also have research students, so graduate research students who work on research projects to, to write their, so their PhD and their master's thesis um, together with me. So yeah, at the moment I'm, I'm lecturing some astrophysics courses. So uh, a third year course and a, a fourth year course. And a lot of the stuff I, I teach there is about, astroparticle physics and early universe cosmology these sorts of things and as far as research students go i i had a couple of phd students who just finished one was was working on basically expanding gambit to to look into signals from cosmology and another one was working on uh, a lot of the the machinery that you need to automatically write code and and work out predictions of, of different theories if you just put in the, the definition of the theory. And I have another PhD student who's about a, a year into his, his PhD. He's also working on Gambit. He's looking at a bunch of things to do with supersymmetric models and how we can hunt for them at colliders like the LHC. And then I have a couple of honours students, which is basically like master's thesis students. One of them is looking at modified gravity and the other one is looking at impacts of dark matter on stars. So, yeah, a few different students doing some related but fairly different things. I, I mean, Gambit is based around this idea of gathering um, data, but in terms of data, it must come from a, like a very wildly varied sources. Like they must come in all different forms and configurations. So how do you go yeah. about 
simplifying it down or making it easy to condense? Yeah, so we we basically have to write separate programs to work with each data set. So what what we try to do is to to calculate what's known as a, a likelihood function for each of the data sets. And, and this is basically the, the probability of, of getting data that looks like that given a particular theory. Um, so what you need to do in that case is to be able to, to compute the prediction from, from any given theory and then feed it into this, this likelihood function. And then you need a, a way to, to basically operate on the data to, to work out what the probability of getting that data would be given that prediction for, for the observable. So, yeah, depending on what format the data's in and, and you know, what sort of experiment it's, it's about, sometimes this can be a really simple calculation. It's, it can be as simple as basically like taking the difference between the predicted number and the observed number. <laughs> Or it can be really, really complicated and you, you have to do all sorts of transformations to the data and do, do you know, some really big number crunching to get the, the likelihood out at the end. Okay. So is it like the person who wants to, to use the software just inputs a bunch of data in order to find an output or is there like some sort of intermediate step that they need to do? There are lots of different things you can do with the software. So it, it depends on how you want to use it. So if you want to, the simplest way to use it is to, to look at a model that, you know, is already defined in there and, and already exists. And then you can just turn on these different likelihood functions with data that, that just ships with the code to begin with. The next, you know, more complicated thing you can do is to put in your own model. So then you, you basically specify what the different particles are in your, your theory and how they interact with each other. And then you get Gambit to automatically generate the, the predictions for, for that theory. And then you compare those predictions with the data sets that are already in Gambit. But then you can go the other way if you prefer. So you can actually add new data sets and then you have to define these, these you have to write new likelihood functions. And then once you've done that, you can use those with, say, the existing models in Gambit, or you can try and do both. You can add a new model and also add a new data set. So you can use just your new likelihood, or you can use it in combination with all of the things that are already there. Okay. Yeah. So as my last question, I just wanted to ask you, do you have any advice for someone who's 16 who enjoys astrophysics and potentially wants to pursue it? in the future? Yeah, do, you know, a physics and a maths degree at, at university. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the key thing is, is basically to, you know, try and learn as much as you can in, in undergraduate courses and don't skimp on the maths courses, I guess. And then basically talk to the people at, at whatever institute you go to about research projects towards the end of your degree and basically go from there, I think. Okay. Thank you very much for talking to me, taking the time to talk to me. I learned a lot. I hope we can keep in touch after this. Sure. You're very welcome. Thank you. Nice to talk to you, Vikram. You too. Bye.